0: before he he died. I believe that Solomon learned his lesson and that Solomon was able to write this book knowing that he could instruct others to not go down those dead-end paths and not to look in those places that cannot fulfill. I believe that that's likely the case with Solomon. But there is incredible wisdom and as you turn into chapter 10, you turn the corner in this book, and Solomon is now going to move toward his conclusion. And as he moves toward his conclusion, he starts giving us these proverbs, these pithy statements, these short, uh, these short metaphors, helping us to understand what it means to be foolish and what it means to be wise. And don't you want to be wise? Could I suggest to you that if you had one request to make of God that wasn 't about your eternal salvation, you would be wise if you asked for wisdom, you would be wise if you asked for wisdom and so in chapter ten, Solomon picks up this journal and he begins to tell us some things that are wise, some things that are foolish and They're not all interconnected. In other words, you don't read from 1 to 20, and it's just one thought that he's communicating throughout that entire entire section. He's going to communicate a number of different things, but all of these different things are about wisdom and foolishness. And he begins by telling you that as wise as you may be, even just a little bit of foolishness can destroy you. I want you to back up just one verse in the chapter 9, and let's pick up what he says at verse 18. He says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. It's like one bad apple can destroy an entire bushel of apples. Like one bad potato can destroy an entire sack of potatoes. One sinner can destroy much good And then he gives you this analogy, chapter 10, verse 1. He says, dead flies putrefy the the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a small odor. So does a little folly to one uh, respected for wisdom and honor. Think about a fly for a moment. Uh, Why is it when you're at a picnic or you're outdoors eating at your house that you're constantly swatting the flies away? You don't want them in your food, right? You know where they have been prior to when they've been flying over your food, and you don't want any deposits on your food that you're going to partake in in the next few minutes, right? And so you're constantly doing this. You're, you're always waving the flies off. Stay away from my food. And it doesn't matter. It's as if they bring a, an entire company of flies, isn't it? And they're always around. But can you imagine what he's saying here when he says a fly gets in the ointment he gets in the perfume and that fly begins to deteriorate and there is a fermentation process that goes on And the result is that that perfume rather than being something that is sweet smelling becomes something that is onerous something that you wouldn't want to put on yourself that that's what he's saying in this little proverb I mean just one sinner can destroy a lot of good Just one bad decision can destroy a lifetime of good decisions because little things matter. Even a little fly that gets in the ointment can destroy the ointment. So if you're known as a person of wisdom, he says in verse 2, if you're known as a person of wisdom, just a little bit of folly. Please understand when we talk about the fool or we talk about his folly, we're not talking about somebody who is mentally deficient. We're talking about someone who is morally deficient. We're talking about somebody who acts in a morally deficient way. They may know what is right to do, but they don't do it. And one bad decision can result in a lifetime of misery. God may forgive you, but the consequences of that one bad decision may go with you for the rest of your temporary life that's here. We often don't think of life that way. I think of an incident that occurred in 1997, January the 12th. There were two Swiss men who decided to venture around the world in a hot air balloon. And so they created this high-tech hot air balloon. It had a sealed cabin. There were solar panels that were used for power. The cabin was pressurized, and they were going to get up into the jet stream so that the jet stream could carry them along at 200 or more miles per hour, and they were going to go all the way around the world in this hot air balloon. Price tag for this process, this project, was $1.5 million. They took off. They got up into the air, got up into the jet stream, and it wasn't very long they began to smell something in the cabin of this pressurized, uh, this pressurized cabin. They began to smell the kerosene that caused the burner to keep burning, to cre- create the hot air for the balloon. They looked everywhere looking for what was causing the leak of this kerosene and they couldn't find it. And finally they got in, tact- got in touch with their technical people. You know, they had communication. They got in touch with their technical people, and they ultimately told them, You need to come down to a lower elevation where you can open the cabin and you can depressurize and you can get some fresh air. And they did that, but they weren't able to make it to the coast of Africa. They had to ditch that hot air balloon in the Mediterranean Sea. And do you know what it was that brought down that $1.5 million hot air balloon, that technological wonder? you know what it was it was a hose clamp like the kind you put men ladies you know underneath your hood you put on the radiator hose of your car I mean at the time it cost maybe a dollar and a half to be able to buy one of those radiator hoses but that one little radiator hose was leaking and they couldn't get it to stop leaking and it scuttled the entire mission It scuttled the entire mission because what Solomon is telling you in these first two verses of chapter 10, the wisdom that he's imparting to us is that little things matter. Little things matter. If they're good things, they're little things, they matter. If they're bad things, they're little things, they matter. Little things matter. Little things can scuttle your entire life. Think about the man who's made 10,000 good decisions and in a moment of passion and in a moment of lust and a moment of temptation commits adultery. And what is he remembered for, for years, if not the remainder of his life? Is it the 10,000 good decisions he made? It's that one horrible decision that he made. Because little things matter a lot. It might have seemed like a little thing at the moment, but that little thing scuttled the rest of his life, created trouble for the rest of his life. Think about George H. Bush. You remember when he said, Read my lips? No new taxes and in the next election they used it against him because he increased the taxes he agreed with the democrats and increased the taxes on the american people and they used it against him and he lost the next election or think about barack obama if you like your plan you can keep your plan if you like your doctor you can keep your doctor and it was used against him repeatedly why Little things that we say and little things that we do matter, and that's what Solomon wanted us to remember. It might seem tiny to you. It might seem small to you, but it's a major issue in your life. There are a lot of little decisions that don't matter a whole lot about things, but there are those moral decisions that you have to make about whether you're going to be honest and you're going to be a person of integrity and you're going to be a person of morality. All those little decisions in. Those little things, a little fly. I mean, what can a fly do to the perfume, to the ointment? That little fly can cause something that's supposed to be beautiful and sweet-smelling to become onerous and ugly that nobody wants. A single decision can bring down an entire life. And yet, we don't talk much about that, do we? We don't say much about that. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. The best of men have always been afraid of little sins. Men with their eyes well opened by divine grace have seen a whole hell slumbering in the smallest sin. Gifted with microscopic power, he says, their eyes have seen a world of iniquity hidden in a single act or thought or imagination of sin. And hence they have avoided it with horror, have passed by and would have nothing to do with it, He continues, little sins lead to great ones, little though the temptation may be, I dread thee, for thy little temptation leads to something greater, and thy small sin makes way for something worse. Think about the drug addict who sniffs the cocaine for the very first time, or shoots the heroin for the very first time, who takes a drag on the weed for the very first time. And then inevitably by that one decision they made just to get along with the rest of the kids they were with, the rest of the adults they were around, just to get along so that I sort of would fit in with the crowd. One decision. And before they know it, they find themselves laying in a street somewhere in a stupor, hardly able to get up and move through life because of that one decision. You know, we could turn this around and we could put this in the positive and David Jeremiah does a good job at doing that. He expressed this same truth in the reverse. He said a holy life is made up of a multitude of small things. It's the little things of the hour and not the great things of the age that fill up a holy life. Amen? Amen. It's the little things that make up of the hour that make up a holy life, not the great things. People say, I'll oh, just give me something great to do. Let me give you something great to do. Pay attention to all the little things that God has placed around you and do those little things well. Ask an artist, somebody who loves to paint on canvas, and they'll tell you that attention to those smallest of details is what makes the painting that they have done so exquisite and so beautiful and worth so much money. It's those little details. Maybe most people don't even see that little detail, but that little detail is important because a fly can get in the ointment and destroy the ointment. A bad decision can lead to increasing numbers of bad decisions, A holy life consists of a lot of small obediences over a long period of time in the right direction. Now, let's just be honest about this. All of us have made some bad decisions along the way. Haven't we? Okay, I'm the only one here that's done that. All of us have made some bad decisions along the way. We're thankful for the forgiveness of God, but today this is a reminder Solomon comes to the end of the book and he says, I'm going to give you some wisdom here. I want you to pay attention. I don't want you to be like the fool. I don't want you to live a life of folly. It's not about your, 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 your intellectual deficiency. This is about your moral deficiency. Make sure the little things matter in life. Pay attention. That flirting with that woman at the office, that man at the office might seem like a little thing, but it becomes a major thing. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. I mean, rotting flies in the ointment will lead to a complete undoing of the ointment's purpose, its its value, a complete undoing of it. Of the essential nature and the essential value of that ointment. And we don't want those little things in our lives. It's why in the Psalms, the psalmist would pray, Lord, forgive me of my, you know the next words, secret sins you know, looking on your phone at things you shouldn't be looking at, watching a movie on your television set that has no business being seen by the eyes of a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Little things matter, he says. And he begins imparting this wisdom at the end of this journal to say to them, look, pay attention because little things matter. But then he says in verse 3, he continues, even when a, excuse me, but a fool's heart at at his left, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. Or I should say verse two, a wise man's heart is at his right hand. There it is. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. He imparts some more wisdom. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Now, if you're a Southpaw this morning, don't take offense. If you're a left-hander, don't get angry with me. But in Middle Eastern thought, the right hand was the place of strength and honor and power and great blessing. Most of them were right-handed, not all of them, but most of them were right-handed, and that's how they thought of it. It's the place of honor. The left hand could be the place of dishonor. And he says, where you set your heart, what you set your heart on determines the direction of your life. Our children growing up set their hearts on something. And if we as parents don't guide them and show them uh, the the dangers and show them the blessings and the good things, and we don't guide them in this process, they can set their their heart on something that can lead them not to the right hand, a place of honor, but to the left. Because our hearts have a tendency to guide us and direct us where we're going. What does Solomon say in the book of Proverbs? He says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Make sure that your heart is set on the right things. Think of it this way. The two great commandments that Jesus gives to us in summary of all the law. What does the very first one say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then what does he say about your neighbor? Anything at all about your heart? Love your neighbor as yourself. But he says you love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. Because if you don't set your heart on God, the direction of your life will drift away. Isn't that true? It'll drift. And here he comes and he says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand. He sets his heart on those things that are pleasing to God. He sets his heart on God himself and not on those things that are on the left hand. That's folly when you do that. Things that are less honorable things that are dishonorable. You set your heart on the right thing. Isn't that what Jesus was was teaching the New Testament was teaching when it says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? Where you're investing your time and where you're investing your money and where you're investing your life, that tells a whole lot about what you really love in life. Does what you say you love, is it really God? And Solomon comes in his wisdom and says, look, little things matter. But he reminds you that the heart is as well, determines the direction of your life and what you set your heart on. I can remember as a boy thinking as I was growing up, I want to be a professional golfer. I want to be a professional golfer. I want to be a professional golfer. Every time I said that, I can almost remember every time I said that, my mother or my dad would always say, well, if that's God's will, if that's God's will, They kept directing me. They kept guiding me. They kept saying to me, you know, what you want is not what you want. What you want is what God wants. And I appreciated my parents for doing that. I didn't at the time. I'd already made up my mind. I'd already set my heart on something. But they were trying to make sure that I stayed open to what God wanted to do in my life and what God wanted to do through my life. And while it's not wrong to become a professional athlete, it is for some of us, wrong to be a professional athlete because God had something better for us to accomplish. Are you all with me? Had something better for us to accomplish. And Solomon comes and says, look, pay attention. Pay attention. Little things matter. Make sure that your heart is set on the things that are on the right hand and not on things that are on the left. not necessarily have to be something that's, that's uh, evil on the left and good on the right. Something that's better. Something that's worse. Make sure your heart is set on the right thing. He continues this wisdom as he imparts it. He says in verse three, "Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom." Now notice. and he shows everyone that he's a fool. Do you get it? I mean, little things matter. A fly in the ointment matters. The heart determines the direction of your life. Set your heart on the things that are on the right hand. Make sure your heart is set on the things of God first above everything else. But the reality is, if you're a fool, there'll be no mistaking it. Because when you walk walk along the way, it'll be obvious for everyone else to see. It's shown to everyone the folly of your life. It's shown to everyone. Now I want to move past that. Because beginning in verse 4 to the end of this chapter, he gives seven different things about folly. I'm only going to look at three of them. I'm going to look at them quickly. He says, look, wisdom is so important in your life. It is so important that you don't want to let one little thing destroy it. You want to make sure to keep your heart set on God where wisdom comes from. You don't want to walk in a way that demonstrates that you're a fool. And then he goes on to talk about some of this folly. And and I put it into statements. I'm not going to give you all seven of them. I'm going to give you three of them into statements just so that we can apply it to our lives. In verse 4, he says, If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. You say, what? Well, let me just put it to you this way. The fool gets angry too quickly and quits too early. The fool gets angry too quickly and quits too early. That's what he's saying. The spirit of the ruler rises up. He's upset about something. It's against you. He says, don't leave your post because consistency and calmness, conciliation, pacifies great offenses. In other words, it's the same thing that he says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, where he tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. But angry words stir up the problem, right? Soft, a soft answer. He he says, Look, the right response is not to get too quickly angry and quit too soon. How many people have quit a marriage too soon because they got angry? They quit a church, they quit a job, they quit friendships too early because they got angry. You know, something about leaders. Let me just give you a little insight. Leaders are passionate about what they're doing. You know that? This is a, this is a ruler. This is somebody who is a leader, and he has something that's aggravated him, that's, this angered him, and it rises up against you. He says, be calm. Don't go quit. Don't get angry and respond. Be calm. You can calm the situation. You can get through it, and you can earn his respect. Leaders are passionate. Do you know them? Uh, Leaders see things that other people don't see. They they understand things that other people don't understand. They're visionaries. They're able to to, to see to the future what God wants to accomplish, and they're passionate about what they're doing. (laughs) Somebody I, I trust and I respect this week told me that I was being defensive, and I was. When somebody is critical about what I'm leading and what I'm doing, I get defensive, When you spent 40 years of your life, almost 40 years of your life in one place, this is not my church. It didn't belong to me. You're not my people. You belong to God. But he placed me here, and he hasn't moved me from here. And when you've invested 40 years of your life, and somebody's being critical of it, you get defensive. That's that's what leaders do. But I was being too defensive, and I had to take the correction appropriately. That's what leaders do. People... Don't understand leaders and they get upset and they get angry and they say things they shouldn't say. They respond in kind and then they quit too early. And the result is that that's a foolish thing to do. You know, it's always easier to find the job when you've got a job? It's always easier to find the job when you've got a job than when you don't have a job? As a matter of fact, right now you can find the job about anywhere. (laughs) And so he comes and he says, Look, The little things matter. Make sure your heart is set on the things of God first above everything else because where your heart is set is where your life is going to be directed. And if you're acting as a fool, everybody's going to know the foolishness of their life. They're going to see it. So look, here's your your counsel. If your boss gets angry with you, rather than responding in kind, give a soft answer in response Walk away from the situation and let yourself calm down before you make a bad decision that can result in bad outcomes. He goes on here. I've got to get to it. He goes on here. Verse 5, there is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly. Now a, a ruler is personified as folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on, walk on the ground like servants. You say, what? Just as he was saying, the fool gets angry too quickly and quits too early, he's saying the fool elevates, honors, and follows the wrong kinds of people in life. Folly is set in great dignity. The rich are put, those who are nobles who ought to be leading are put in low places, servants are on horses and the princes who ought to be guiding the nation are walking on the ground like servants they're not in the right place one great leadership book about good to great says that you got to make sure the who and the where you got to make sure the who who's on the bus with you that you've got the right people on the bus then you got to know the where where do they belong on that bus Because you can get the right people in the wrong places and not get the results that you desire. Or you can get the wrong people and they're in the wrong places and not get the result you desire. Do you see what he's saying? And somehow in the process, we elevate and honor and follow the wrong people, foolish people. Elevate and honor and follow the wrong kinds of people. We put the wrong people in leadership. We follow the wrong kinds of people. I know there's a lot of good people in sports, and a lot of good people in, uh, in Hollywood, and a lot of good people in business, and a lot of good people in churches, but you know we ought to be careful who we follow. Yeah. Or notice, if you will, verse 8. This is my last one before I give you some practical application. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stone may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, like the fool, he gets angry, and he does so too quickly, and he quits too early. The fool, he elevates and honors and follows the wrong kinds of people in life. But the fool doesn't consider the risks and the consequences of his or her actions. They they break through a wall without thinking about what could happen. They dig a ditch without thinking about what could happen. They they do all of these things without consideration. There's risk involved in various aspects of life. And when you take those risks, you got to know what the consequences can be. And people don't stop to consider the risk and don't stop to consider the consequences. We've seen a masterful example of this in the past week and a half. Regardless of what you think about Afghanistan or where our military should be related to Afghanistan, the exit strategy stinks and costs 13 Americans their lives and a lot more will probably have to die. It's left women in jeopardy, children in jeopardy. It's left relief agencies, people working for relief agencies in jeopardy. It's left Christians in jeopardy. Could you not stop and think about the wall and what breaking through the wall might mean? Could you not stop and think about what digging that ditch might cause? Could you not have planned better than you planned? I don't agree with you, Pastor. Everybody has a right to be wrong. (laughs) He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stone may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. Did you not stop to think about what could happen and make sure that the best strategy was implemented to avoid the injuries, if at all possible. Hmm. Boy, that's close to home, isn't it? He goes on. He goes on imparting this kind of wisdom. For instance, in chapter 10, verse 10, he says that the fool fails to prepare adequately for the basic tasks in life. He brings an axe to a wood chopping event, and it's dull. He doesn't sharpen it before he gets there. Or in verses 11 to 14, he says the fool speaks too much when he ought to be listening. Or in verses 16 to 19, he says the fool rarely acts in responsible ways about the duties of life. Or in verse 20, he says the fool curses incompetent authorities without considering the repercussions it may have. You ought to read verse 20. He curses the incompetent authorities without considering the repercussions it may have. We don't live in a theocracy, and we don't live in a dictatorship. We live in a democracy. We have a right to speak our minds, but we have to be careful as well. And he imparts this this kind of wisdom. Now the question is, do you want this kind of wisdom? Do you want the kind of wisdom that can bring success to your life. That's what he says in the verse 10. But wisdom brings success. The kind of wisdom that brings that kind of success. Do you want that kind of wisdom that keeps you out of the folly of the world around you? Hey, look. Just because you, you have this intellectual uh, prowess doesn't mean that you're wise. I, I, I never forget the story of uh, two men that, we were playing golf. Two men that I knew that were playing golf. One of them was just an ordinary guy like I'm an ordinary guy. The other was a PhD professor, PhD. By the way, not all PhD professors are like this. If you're a PhD professor, this PhD professor. It started raining and they were going to get drenched if they stayed out. And the PhD professor turned to his buddy and he said, what do you think we should do? I'll tell you what you think. I think you should do. He said, I think we should go in so that we don't get wet. <laughs> we're not talking about your intellect. We're talking about something far more important. So where does this kind of wisdom come from? First of all, it comes from God. That's why Solomon asked God for it. And by the way, I asked you at the beginning, what would you ask God for? If he were to give you one request and he was going to answer it, did you know that God has given you that request? James chapter 1 verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach. He only gives one qualification. He says, let him ask in faith, not wavering. Let him ask believing. But he says, you can ask me for wisdom because the kind of wisdom we're talking about, you don't get down in the, in the university, you get it from God. And God brings you that wisdom. Secondly, this wisdom is found in Scripture. This wisdom comes from God, and it's found in Scripture. Just listen to what he says. I I was reading through Psalm 119. Don't you love it in your Bible reading when you get to Psalm 119? I mean, you're skipping through the Psalms really fast, and you get to Psalm 119, but Psalm 119 is incredibly rich about the things of God. Listen what he says. Oh, how I love your law. It's, the meditation of, it's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. You hear what he says? The Word of God comes through this book, it comes through the Word, the Scripture. Um, I know we sound like a broken record around here. And for our children, they have no idea what a broken record even means. We sound like a broken record. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to be in a church service where you can hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Have you noticed that the biblical illiteracy just continues to grow? And what do we do? We keep cutting back. We keep taking it away. We keep having less of. We do less of the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Why, when you need more of it, do you do less of it? We need to be in life groups. We need to be where we're interacting with other believers and we're learning from them as we talk about the scriptures together. Because the wisdom I'm talking about comes from God. It's found in the scripture. That wisdom comes off the pages of this book. This wisdom I'm talking about is imparted. Listen, it's imparted through relationships. It's imparted through relationships. As you're interacting with each other, The two of you can grow in wisdom, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God can grow in each of you. Listen to what it says, Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Let me just give you some advice here. You got a drug problem? You got an alcohol problem? Step number one, get away from the people you're hanging out with. Come to a church where people can love you and care for you and disciple you and stay away from those people that want to keep taking you down. This is not hard. It may be hard to get off the drugs. It may be hard to get it out of your system. But the concept of what you got to do first, isn't that hard? Stay away from those people. If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. But if you hang out with fools, your life's going to be destroyed. By the way, if your kids are going off to school this year, not every teacher, thank God many are, but not every teacher is the wise. This wisdom comes from God. It's found in Scripture. It's imparted through relationships. You walk with the wise, and as you walk with the wise, you learn from them. Somebody told me one time, if you want to be a better golfer, play with better golfers. I learned that to be true when I was a young kid. Not anymore. It doesn't help me any, anymore. You play with better people, you get better yourself. You learn things from watching them. You learn things from interacting with them. That's the same principle. Number four, wisdom comes from God. It's found in Scripture. It's imparted through relationships. Wisdom is learned by experience. You just go through life, and you learn to apply the Scriptures, and you learn to grow in the wisdom and in maturity And in the grace of God, and in the process, you you, you gain wisdom. Can I just tell you something about all these people? All you young people, listen to me. All these people in this room that have white hair aren't wise. But many of them are. Many of them are. And you would be wise to stop calling them old people. And you would be wise to stop and ask them some questions on occasion and try to understand the things that they're telling you because they have wisdom you don't have that came to them through the experiences of their lives. I'll never forget what my dad told me. He said, you reach an age, son, when people think you don't know anything and they don't want you anymore. And I heard him say that as a younger man. I thought... What are you talking about, Dad? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about until I got here. (laughs) And now I'm the old man who can't get on the gas pedal quick enough at the red light and doesn't drive fast enough down the road. You better stop and learn some respect for those people with that gray hair who have the experiences of life because you learn by experience Wisdom that comes from God. I know some things that you don't know because of the experiences of life I've been through. We have a generation that says, I'm going to do it my way and I'm not going to listen to anybody else. God help us if we do that. God help you if you do that. Solomon turns the corner here in chapter 10 and he begins giving practical advice. Listen, old. Little, the little things in life matter. A fly in the ointment can ruin an entire batch of ointment. A little bit of sin can destroy your life. If your heart is not set on the right thing, it's going to direct you to the wrong things in life. Don't walk in a way so that everybody knows how foolish. Have you ever seen somebody doing something and you thought to yourself, you didn't say it out loud, God forbid that you'd say it out loud, but you thought to yourself, how foolish. The fool gets angry too quickly and quits too early. The fool elevates, honors, and follows the wrong kinds of people in life. The fool doesn't consider the risks and consequences of his actions. The fool fails to to prepare adequately for the basic tasks in life. The fool speaks too much when he ought to be listening. The fool rarely acts in responsible ways about the duties of life. The fool curses incompetent authorities without considering the repercussions it may have. That's pretty good wisdom, isn't it? So look at one last place with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The greatest wisdom there is is the gospel. There is no greater wisdom than the wisdom of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to Paul, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God of God, the wisest thing I ever did in the course of my life was trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the wisdom of God that comes through the cross and that empty tomb is the wisdom that's still changing lives today.